0: The Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez, where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode of the Christian Circle Podcast. Today we have Charles back again with us talking about Mother Teresa of Calcutta or Saint Teresa. Before we go on to the podcast, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Attention church leaders, are you looking to grow your church membership and congregation? Look no further than Noah'sEventVenue.com slash church. Noah's Event Venue rents its location out to church groups just like yours for Sunday worship services, Bible study, prayer groups, Sunday school, and more. So come ye two by two to Noah's. For more information, just give us a call at 843-455-6845 or visit us online at Noah'sEventVenue.com slash church. Don't forget to ask us about getting one month free. That's Noah's Event venue.com slash church. We'd love to have your congregation meet at Noah's.
1: My name's Charles Johnston and I have a blog uh, now that I'm Catholic dot com and a uh, Facebook page and I've just, I've been a Catholic for a few years now. I'm really excited to be involved in the new evangelization and be doing this podcast with Pamela. It's probably our what is this, like our 12th saint we've done
0: now?
1: Yeah. We a monthly for uh, going on a year now, so it's yeah. great. I'm really enjoying it.
0: So who are we talking about today?
1: Uh, today we're talking about uh, Mother Teresa or uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta. So that's kind of new. I'm still calling her Mother Teresa. Yeah. That's what she's been <laughs> my whole life. So St. So Teresa of Calcutta doesn't roll off the tongue as much, but yeah. trying to.
0: So where was she originally from? She's not
1: an Indian, so she's Albanian, right? No, she's not Indian. Yeah. She's originally from uh, Skoube, or Sk- I don't know how you pronounce it. Mm-hmm. It's the capital of uh, Macedonia now, but at the time when she was born, it was uh, part of the Ottoman Empire. So she was part of an ethnic minority, Albanians, mm-hmm. but also Albanians are generally Muslims. Yeah. So they're like 70-80% Muslim. And the Christians that are, the Albanians that are Christian, are generally Albanian Orthodox. Mm. So she was a, more, a minority within a minority within a minority. So yeah. I'd imagine that probably shaped the way she's seen the world growing up, because we're in a real tight-knit community, you know, mm. her parish community in uh, in the town there, in what is now Macedonia. And, uh, yeah, she grew up in a, a very, very tumultuous time mm. in the Balkan area. You know, you had the first and second. Balkan more yeah. in the First World War, all while she was, you know, very young.
0: So in a way, it is that God can call you from anywhere, right? No matter how small, how yeah. restricted, how how bad the conditions are. Very much so. And um, she's she mentioned her call when she was 17, or was that when mm-hmm. she became a nun? She or she came to India first, well, yeah, she, and then
1: as a child growing up, uh, her family was a very devout family, mm-hmm. a very devout Catholic family, and her father died. Uh, I think she was nine, eight or nine, mm-hmm. eight or nine years old. So at a very tender age, mm-hmm. she lost her father. And her mother was also very devout. So she really, she started to you know, attend mass, daily mass with her and everything. Mm-hmm. And she was very fascinated with uh, the missionary stories of missionaries
2: mm-hmm.
3: to
1: uh, mostly to Bangladesh. She was very fascinated with the stories of the missionaries to Bangladesh. And she wanted to be a missionary.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I read that as young as 12 she had set her mind to becoming a missionary,
2: uh-huh,
1: you know. Okay. So that was what she was really felt called to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, she ended up joining. She was a young lady. Uh, she ended up joining the Loreto Sisters. Mm. So that's kind of an Irish group of nuns. Mm. And their their charism would be like teaching, mm-hmm. kind of missionary work throughout the developing world, you know.
0: And so at seventeen, she decides to become a nun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and she joined the Loretto sisters, and uh, yeah, she joined the Loretto sisters, and she ended up going to uh, India
0: with mm-hmm. them, okay. and the and just to tell people that she she went to Calcutta, right? Calcutta is yeah. one of the worst cities, uh, probably, in India, the most crowded, one of the most, uh, I think, the poorest, I think, of all the metropolitan cities in India.
1: Right, I mean, yeah, she, uh, Calcutta is on the east side of India, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where she ended up, and uh, she taught there for a while too. She was a uh, teacher. I think her, uh, I think her uh, class was was it history and uh, geography and social studies, and she taught the children of what have been kind of the more affluent members of society mm-hmm. from Calcutta who happened to be Catholic. Yeah, you know, she she taught their children and everything, and that's where she received her what she called her call within her call. hmm
0: And what was this call within a call?
1: Well, she was uh, she was on the train to uh, to Darlington. Is that how you
0: pronounce Darjling.
1: it? Darjiling. Darjiling. Okay. <laughs> she was on she was on the train, and uh, she had this this profound sense that Jesus was calling her to go because you know she taught inside this kind of kind of like a compound. You know, what I mean, it was a compound mm-hmm. set off from the rest of the city, mm-hmm. and it was only kind of affluent people could send their children there, mm-hmm. things like that. So she felt this this call that Jesus wanted her to follow him into the slums, mm. you know, into the the poorest of the poor, into the into the just the gutter of society, yeah. basically. Yeah. And like you said, it's an overcrowded poor city to begin with. Yeah. And then she feels called to go into, you know, the heart of the city. Mm. To mm-hmm. minister to, to minister to the, to the sick and the dying. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that's what she, she felt this call and she went, she went to her bishop, the area, I guess the bishop of the area, and she told mm-hmm. him that this was her call. And so she went into the, she got released from her, uh, vow of obedience,
2: I guess you'd call it, to mm-hmm. the, to the, uh, order, the Sisters of Loreto. And she went in and she started by herself too. Mm-hmm. so
1: here she is, this, this tiny lady, because she was really small, Yeah. and she went in, and she just started ministering, and she started helping, because her mother had taught her, it was, you know, she made it famous later on in life, with the five-finger prayer, mm-hmm. you know, it was, you did it to me. Yeah. When Jesus said, you know, when when the people, when at the judgment, he'll say, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick, mm-hmm. you nursed me. You know, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they'll say, when, Lord, did we do this to you? Mm. And he says, when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me.
0: Mm.
1: And so that was kind of what she lived her life by, was this this call to service. You did it to me.
0: Mm-hmm. In a way, those are like our spiritual and corporal works of mercy too, right? That we should be uh, doing every day. It's kind of our uh, call as well, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, she like... She kind of personified the corporal works of mercy. Like, when I think of, like, literally, when I think of the corporal works of mercy, I can picture mm-hmm. Mother Teresa. That's who I think of. Yeah. And, but she was doing something that we're all called to do.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, we, we see it as this radical act, and it was because she gave up everything and she wouldn't live among the. But, you know, we don't have to give up everything. We don't have to live in slums to also perform these corporal works of mercy. Mm-hmm. You you can do it right where you live, right where you, you know, because God calls you where you're at. Like. Mm, yeah. So if you, if you're a husband and a father, like myself, you're not, I'm probably not called to go live in the streets of Calcutta
3: and minister
1: <laughs> to the sick and dying. But I mean, here in you know, here in Arizona, well, there's plenty of people that I can help out like that. Yeah. And now it's and if that was one of the things that she said and all the time is not all of, all of us can do great things, but we can all do little things with great love. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's one of my favorite, all-time favorite quotes, never mind mm-hmm. just from her. Mm-hmm. That's one of my all-time favorite quotes, just because it's so true, isn't it,
2: mm-hmm. that
1: we're not all, all called, like, not everyone's called to be martyrs, not everyone's called to write a theological treatise, not everyone's called to be the pope or a bishop, mm-hmm. but we're all called to do little things with great love, it's kind of that uh, Therese of Lisieux yes, kind of spirituality, yes, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's what you know, Mother Teresa. That's where she gets her name from.
2: Is mm-hmm.
1: She because her her birth name was Agnes.
2: Yeah. And uh, when she took on you know, when she became a nun, she took on the name Teresa
1: uh, in honor of Teresa of Lisieux and Teresa of Avila, both of them. And Teresa of Lisieux probably only what predated Mother Teresa by, by a couple of decades, right?
0: Mm, yeah. Like, yeah.
1: Late 1800s. She was early 1910 She was born mm-hmm. so.
0: That's interesting, right? How all the saints influence each other and influence the future yeah. generations of saints.
1: Yeah, it just kind of goes you pay it forward, basically. <laughs> Your holiness is inspiring somebody else's holiness down yeah. the line. Yeah. yeah, it is.
0: It's pretty inspiring when you think about it. Since this month we're talking about building uh, vibrant parishes, um, why is it so important mm-hmm. that Mother Teresa spends so much time on community building? Like she works. And now the work, group that she's actually working is not just poor, but they are untouchables in India. So in India, we still have this concept of untouchables right. and Dalits. So why is it that We're she... Was, system. Yeah, we still have that system. I mean, it still exists. Uh, right. So why is it that she spends so much time on this community building? Today, the missionaries of charity are in all countries throughout the world doing this community building. So why is this horizontal aspect of the cross so important? Well,
1: because it's, you know, in the... Uh, the readings coming up, actually, this coming Sunday,
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the second reading, you know, St. James talks about the uh, how if you know a rich man comes in, don't treat him with any greater honor in the assembly than a poor man,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: don't make a poor man stand in the back, because St. Paul said, you know, there's no slave or free, no Greek or Jew, you know, we're all one party. So the caste system... And India might exist in a civil way, you know, like civil society, mm. but in the Church it doesn't exist at all.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, there's no such thing as untouchables in the Church. Yeah. Jesus died just as much for the King of England yeah. as he did for the untouchables on the streets of Calcutta. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's what really, that's really a powerful message. For especially societies that have existed as long as, you know, Indian society and like Eastern societies that have been around forever, mm, you know, yeah. it's a powerful message, this, this liberate message of Christ that there's no one better than anyone else. You know, yeah. we're all on the same on the same field, same level playing field here. Mm-hmm. That Jesus died for every one of us in the exact same way. And also, like we all think that Jesus died for everyone, but he also died particularly for you. You know, yeah. and that's a powerful message to tell people, especially people that have been unloved and, un, like you said, untouchable, Yeah, to be told that there's, you know, the God of the universe became man, came to earth and died for you. She spread that message through love and action.
0: So why aren't we as Christians doing the same thing or doing, if not as much, at least doing a, a little towards, um, you know, the, the people who are unloved and w- unwanted in our own societies locally?
1: Right, I think it's a lot of, a lot of it is, we think, that's someone else's job. That's not my job, my job. Well, what's your job? My job is to sit in the pew every Sunday and put a couple dollars in the basket. Mm. Well, no. (laughs) Yes,
2: that is, that's your job, but every one of us, it's our church. It's not
1: the church of just, you know, it isn't the priest's church. It's our parish. Each one of us that are a member of the parish have just as much of a share in the parish mm. and in the church as a whole. Like Every one of us that are a Catholic, that are a member of the Catholic Church, has as much of a share in the church as anyone else. Yeah. So we all have to pull our weight. Yeah. But we all kind of, and I've done it myself too, I mean, I'm guilty of this as anyone else, yeah. is we think, oh, well, that's the, you know, that's the other guy's job. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, you'll see a, you know, a stranger in church that you haven't ever seen before, especially with a smaller parish. Yeah. And you know, like, that person's not from around here walk over and shake their hand and say hi. Mm-hmm. You know, welcome to our parish. But we don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I went to a Byzantine parish not too long ago just for, uh, for divine liturgy just to kind of check it out because I kind of like things eastern, you know, mm-hmm. and the second I walked through the door, head spun and looked at me like, oh, this guy ain't from here. <laughs> and one of the people walked up that wasn't even an and walked up, shook my hand said, welcome to our parish. Here's the priest. You want to talk to the priest? I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they are like, I got introduced to everyone, like, hi, how you doing? I'm Charlie. Okay, hi. And then I sat down, and then as soon as as soon as the liturgy was over, okay, come on and over here. Here's the parish hall where I have some food. And, like, they were very well, like, overwhelmingly well. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're supposed to be.
0: Yeah.
1: And not just with, you know, not just with strangers, but welcoming a stranger is one of the corporal works of mercy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, you know, like, you see someone that comes in, like, uh, in my parish, Phoenix, mm. uh, it's not too far off the freeway. So every so often, like, you know, homeless
2: people or, like, panhandlers will come in mm.
1: and say, like, you know, and you can see people kind of turtle-eyeing them, you know, kind of looking them out of the corner of the eye. And, yeah. And, like, well, yeah, someone's going to help them, but go over and talk to that guy. Or you go, But nobody wants to be the guy
2: yeah.
1: that says, yeah, here, let me get my car. Let's go to McDonald's. Let's do a sandwich. or
2: mm. Let's...
1: You know, no one wants to be that guy. Everyone wants it to be somebody else. It's passing the buck all down the the way. Mm -hmm. And I think we just think that, you know, our parishes are so built up and our uh, organizations, especially in the Catholic Church, and we have all these different organizations and Mm -hmm. all these different charities that somebody will take care of the problem. Yeah. But that somebody's you, you know? Who was it? Was it Teresa of Avila that said, you know, Christ has no hands on earth except yours and no feet on earth? Yeah. That's very true. And then when you, when I stop, I try to remind myself of that. When I see a need, because I passed the buck forever, I was just a, a pew warmer, you mm-hmm. know? I would go on Sunday, I'd sit in my pew, I'd get up. I'd walk out, I wouldn't say hi to anybody. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do anything. I was just there for
2: mass, and that was it. Mm-hmm.
1: And now I try to remind myself, like, when I see a need, mm-hmm. I am just as much the hands and feet of Christ as anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so how am I to pass the buck? I have to deal with this. Right. You know, if it's something too big that you can't deal with and yeah take it you know bring it to somebody in the parish say here's a problem that I can't deal mm-hmm. with. But if it's a person that needs a ride or someone needs help with their car or you need to you know a homeless person's asking for a sandwich, don't say it like someone else is gonna take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't pass the box. That's what Mother Teresa never did pass the box. She mm-hmm. she was there and if there was a need she handled it personally.
0: Is it that we are afraid? Is it because of fear? Yeah, it might be, you know,
1: kind of fear of rejection, fear of kind of overstepping your bounds, mm-hmm. you know, maybe kind of putting yourself out there, being vulnerable yeah. by offering help, And sometimes help will get rejected.
0: Yeah, I, I've actually, <laughs> I know that. I've
1: actually a few times, you know, seen a homeless person, you know, on the corner asking for money, hey pal, you want a sandwich, can I buy you, you know, a burger? No. <laughs> no, I'm not hungry, I want a few dollars, and you know, you know they want money, yeah. okay, but they reject your offer of food. Or, like, you'll pull
2: over, and I, a couple times, I'm a big guy, though, mm-hmm. so I
1: pulled over one time, and there was an old old man and an old woman trying to change their tire, and having a hard time with it, mm-hmm. and I I said, like, okay, I actually passed them on the freeway, and mm-hmm. then I heard my mother's voice in my head, saying, like, <laughs> why didn't you stop and help them? So I turned around, went all the way around, made a big loop, and come back, and I pulled up, and I got out of my truck, and I said, hey, hey do you need some help? And the old guy stood up with the tire iron and said, you get out of here! Oh. <laughs> I guess, I guess I thought I was going to rob him or something, but... <laughs> Yeah, you put yourself out there and sometimes you get rejected, mm. you know, so I think that might be, I think, you know, a lot of it is just passing the buck though,
2: okay.
1: whether it's out of just, you know, laziness or fear of rejection.
0: Mm-hmm. What about those people who would say that they're doing way too much and nobody else is helping them? Like there are certain people who are always helping, who are always part of the uh, initiated. So what would you say to those people who are kind of fed up that other people, other Christians are not stepping up to the plate? Well, uh, I guess I'd say, you know, if you quit, it isn't
1: going to inspire anyone to start helping even more, you know? <laughs> so that's definitely not the solution. Yeah, it's... it's uh, I heard a statistic one time that said, like, in the Catholic Church, uh, for every hundred people sitting in the pew, there's one person yeah, helping. Correct, yeah. You know, like volunteering in the parish. Yeah. And that really has to change, yeah. you know? And there's so many different programs that, that can be helped. And even if it's just... Being an usher and just greeting people at the door, or uh, you know, a lot of parishes need help with the the Eucharistic ministers, yeah. extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. Or uh, I actually got trained to do that this spring, so I, I'm now an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. Wow, and it's okay. you know, it's pretty uh, it's pretty awe inspiring. Yeah, be, yeah. You know, like to, I really don't know how to put it into words, but to to be able to you know say the you know body of Christ or blood of Christ and, mm. and you know, hand it to another one of my fellow, you know, parishioners. And yeah. it, it, it's hard to put in words, but it, it's a great, I love it. <laughs> and I've only been doing it for a few months. But there's, because like, uh, my church has a, uh, you know, like a, a, how do you say, a scheduling program, you mm. know. And there's always, they need more help yeah. at all times. Yeah. Like then there's people, like, it'll be full of schedule, but then there'll be three or four people that are requesting subs because they, can't make it to that particular time. And there's some people that serve two and three different ma- masses,
2: yeah.
1: you know, and the way one of the, the people at uh, one of the, uh, the volunteers upon the RCIA program told mm. us all when we were going through it is you're going to be in mass anyway. You might as well work while you're there, yeah. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> I mean, if you go to the 11 a.m. Mass, volunteer to be an usher at the, at yeah. the 11 a.m. Mass or be a lector. Yeah. They're always in need of lectors or the, uh, it doesn't even have to be a liturgical ministry. Just, your parish, I guarantee anyone listening to this right now can go to their parish and find a need
2: mm-hmm.
3: where they
1: need volunteers. Mm-hmm. 100% yeah. guarantee there's not, every position isn't filled. They're mm-hmm. happy to have the help. And you don't have to be an expert. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to have a degree in theology to help <laughs> out at RCIA. <laughs> you know, like, I'm completely unqualified, and I volunteer every chance I get just because I love, once you do it,
2: Hmm.
1: Once you volunteer, once you step out, you volunteer, you say, okay, I'll do it. Hmm. You, it really, hit get a kind of, a, it's like getting a bug, yeah. you know? Yeah. And then you want to just keep doing it and keep doing it. But yeah, the, the people that are doing stuff right now, and they feel like they're not getting any assistance, they're not getting help. Imagine how Jesus felt yeah. on the cross, you know? He had 12 hand-picked guys. One of them betrayed him, one of them denied him. And only one was at the foot of the cross. He was doing pretty bad in the, uh, you know, batting average percentage there. <laughs> so how do you think Jesus felt being abandoned by everyone? So if you feel like you're working in your parish and you're doing this and doing that, and nobody else help, then just keep at it. Don't don't give up because that's definitely not going to inspire more volunteers. Mm. But just, you know, pray pray for more volunteers, pray for more help. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's in giving that we receive. You know, St. Mm-hmm. Francis of Assisi said that. Mm-hmm. It's in giving that we receive, and it's in dying that we're born to eternal life. That doesn't just mean death
2: mm. at the end
1: of your life, but dying to self. Mm. You know, yeah. it's in giving back. You get so much. I was just talking to my cousin the other day about this, too. You get so much from your parish.
2: Mm.
1: You know, the, the sacraments, that you to, you know, the, the community, the fellowship. And we don't give back. We could never give back as much as we get, because we receive Jesus every time we go to mass. Mm. But we are really kind of indebted. We do have to give something back
0: you yourself learned so much right haven't you felt that by serving in all these ministries that you have grown as a Christian yourself
1: Im- immeasurably you know that's what uh, I make weekly videos too for uh, you know like reflections on the scripture readings I post on Facebook mm-hmm. for the you know for the weekly men yeah. and really it started from when I was in RCA we would discuss the week that we'd get the pace of paper that was next week's readings at that session it's every mm-hmm. Sunday after Mass, we'd have a session. And I would read it, and study it all week, and then we talked about it next Sunday.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I felt like it was such a, you know, people wanted to really talk about it, and really discuss it and everything. I felt really blessed to be able to, you know, read it and think about it for a week ahead of time. So mm-hmm. I started doing that and started sharing it with people. and Some people liked it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprising to me, people actually wanted to hear what I had to say about the scripture. so i have done it more often and more often. Mm-hmm. But... In doing it, I've received,
2: mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
1: It's like yeah. way more than I've I've given. It's a strange thing because I'll read and study on the script for weeks in advance of a reading, and then I feel like I'm growing spiritually. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, I'm giving you receive. Yeah. So I feel like I'm growing spiritually more than I'm really giving to anybody. Mm-hmm. And then also, like, if I write like, a blog post on something, it's, um, I think Flannery O'Connor said, uh, I write to figure out what I know. Mm-hmm. You know, Mm. I do that, too. Like, I'll discover things like, hold on, I don't know too much about this subject, so then I'll go and study it, Mm. you know. And that's, so I have grown in, you know, just my understanding of the teachings of the church and the history of the church. Mm. Just from trying to help explain things to other people, I've grown even more myself, Mm. you know. And then in my prayer life, too, just being part of these different ministries. You know, you pray, each one of the ministries, they all gather before. Mass or before a you know, session mm. and have a prayer and stuff and it, it really does it, it helps you in your own spiritual growth mm. because going from being just a casual Catholic mm. Every Sunday to being an involved Catholic. Yeah. it really is a big difference, mm. you know in I Don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but it does it yes It leads to immense, immense spiritual growth to be able to help serve and give back
0: mm-hmm. And speaking of spiritual growth, uh, Mother Teresa had uh, a very uh, intense spirituality because her ministry was so difficult. So that was every day in the morning mass, one hour before the blessed sacrament. So, what can you explain about her spirituality, which strengthened her ministry in a way?
1: Right. Well, the uh, the interesting thing about their uh, if you have ever seen a uh, chapel for a minister uh, missionaries of charity, Mother Teresa's. uh, group mm-hmm. if you ever see their chapel there's no pews or kneelers or anything it's just a big open floor mm. you know and they all kneeled on the hardwood floor yeah. through the whole mass and you know some of us will complain sometimes you know <laughs> kneeling on a padded <laughs> on yeah. a padded kneeler and it's uh you know it really it's I was at uh I was at the cathedral here Sunday and I had to sit in a kind of a pew, mm-hmm. kind of like a bulkhead seat, like if you were on a plane, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: because I had my son in a stroller next to me, kind of mm-hmm. parked off to the side, and there was no kneeler. Mm-hmm. And so I kneeled on the marble floor, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh man, this is, <laughs> and I kind of complained at first in my head, and I thought, well, no, because I thought of the Missionaries of Charity, how they just kneel mm-hmm. through little frail old ladies, mm-hmm. and I'm a young man, so I mm-hmm. just kind of sucked about <laughs> <laughs> and went with it, but, they, yeah, they wake up at like four in the morning. They had a very, a very, uh, I would say, disciplined
2: okay.
1: spirituality, kind of very regimented. And it was, you know, they'd wake up at four in the morning, and they'd have prayers, and uh, they'd done the liturgy of the hours of the day, so they had
2: the morning prayer, and the noon prayer, and the evening prayer. And they also had Mass every morning. Mm-hmm. And they uh, then they would go do their work and stuff,
1: and they would come back for lunch, and they would go do more work. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, they would do... Uh, Vespers, you know like evening mm-hmm. prayer
2: yeah.
1: and then they'd have an hour a holy hour for mm-hmm. the blessed sacrament and so that was that was really a very i'd say a very disciplined prayer life a very disciplined spiritual life mm-hmm. and we need that yeah. you know we really do i've been trying to get into liturgy of the hours lately mm-hmm. and uh i don't know if i'm even doing it right <laughs> to tell you the truth because it is very it's very involved mm. but uh I've been trying to do just the morning and the evening prayer. Mm. I don't know who, except for our monk, would have time for all five yeah. hours. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be it would be very difficult because each one takes you know fifteen or twenty minutes. But mm. it's really good to have that kind of structured you know, yeah. every morning, every evening,
2: mm.
1: have that structured prayer. Mm. And like in some places, you know, real Catholic countries, you'll hear the angelus bells go yes. off at twelve.
2: Crazy right. yeah. angels
1: at twelve. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, I mean, as far as being in a Christian country, America is kind of going the way of secularization, so you don't hear church bells much anymore. Mm. But uh, that's also a regimented, you know, discipline thing, Mm. being the 12 o'clock noon prayer, just Mm. putting time aside to pray at certain times. And the Eucharistic adoration, that was really where she drew Mm. all of her strength from. You know, because physically she wasn't a strong person, but spiritually she was immensely strong. Mm. And just she had a very. I'd say she had a very Christ centered, you know, Christocentric spirituality. Mm. And uh, you know, she was very, very much into the, the Eucharistic adoration. She would do that a holy hour every day, no matter what, like you know, the world could be ending. And that was mm. <laughs> that was on the menu, you know. And so that's it's something that we could all really take a cue from. Mm to have that kind of disciplined prayer and also to set time aside for Jesus. And, and, you know, not all of us have time to do a holy hour every day. But, you know, there's an hour in the week that you could find to do it. And the daily mass, too, that would be a real boost to your spiritual life, Mm. doing daily mass.
0: And this is a woman who suffered from tuberculosis, and uh, she...
1: Oh yeah, she had she, she, malaria like yeah. five times. So
0: she's been sick, but she still managed to do all of these things.
1: Uh huh. Yeah, that came first. That was that's what she said too. Is is the prayer? You don't pray. You don't gain in your prayer life through your work. She said you get the strength for your work through your prayer life. Yeah. yeah. You know, so to carry out the type of work they were doing,
2: mm. which
1: you know is very difficult, caring for the dying yeah. people with leprosy and AIDS. And people dying of cancer
3: that you know the, the best they could do for them is give them aspirin mm, you know yeah. so you can imagine the people like wailing and pain and stuff and that would be hard
1: that would that would really drain you and the only thing that could keep them going would be having a very you know rich spiritual rich prayer life
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is funny too because mother Teresa suffered from an odd you know, a spiritual dryness, mm, yeah. you know, like a dark night of the soul, kind of for
0: yeah.
1: I think 40 or 50 years. Mm. It was a long time.
0: What do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's kind of a phenomenon that a lot of saints go through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, that they they have this. It's kind of an invitation. I I feel that it's kind of an invitation from God to really get closer to Him. Mm. You know, okay. and to really persist, even though even if you aren't feeling it. Mm-hmm. Even if you aren't feeling like it, even if you're feeling far from him, he's never far from you. And so it's an invitation just to grow deeper in your prayer life. Mm-hmm. That's why I feel like it is. But she probably didn't feel like that.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she
1: persisted though. That's the thing you got to, you know. That's a long spiritual dryness to mm-hmm. go through. And she persisted. And she never, she never wavered. She never doubted God. She just, she kept going, even though she just felt distant from him, felt far from him. She knew that you know, through the promises of God and Christ that he's never far from
0: you. And this is important, I think, currently because of all the uh, accusations within the church right now Uh that uh, no matter what period we are going through, we still remain... We need to be faithful to to him through prayer, right? And the best thing that you Uh can probably do for the church right now is pray for your priests and pray for the church and whatever it's going through. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, because,
1: I mean... All these things that are going on are horrible,
2: yeah.
1: you know, but from a theological perspective, mm. it's it's nothing new. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, Solomon said that 4,000 years ago, or whatever, yeah. 3,000 years ago. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. This is, you know, if you think about it, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, that every, you know, generation has to fight a certain heresy, yeah. you know, There was the Gnostics and the Arians and the Nestorians and the Plagians. There's been heresies and fights for the truth and for, you know, fidelity to the truth. Mm -hmm. All the way back to the first century. You know, in the very first century, there was the Judaizers that were saying, you know, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep all the Mosaic law. Mm. And that was dealt with in Acts 15.
2: Mm.
1: So, I mean, before we even get out of the New Testament period, while they're still writing the New Testament, there was controversy. And it really, you know, like Bishop Barron said, that it all comes down to infidelity.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, they're not being faithful, because infidelity means unfaithfulness to the teachings of the church. And you you don't judge a philosophical, you know, system or a religious system or Mm -hmm. even, you know, a civil government system through people who don't practice it or practice it terribly. You know? Yeah. You don't. You don't judge something by that. So you can't judge the church by that either. But you no, know, even through this period we're going through, you have to remember that it's not new. Nothing's new. I mean, if you if you live back during the Borgias, popes, mm. or the Avignon papacy, you know, yeah. you've seen all kinds of you've seen some degeneracy and all kinds of things. But you got to know that Christ established His church. Yeah. And he promised that the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it. So. Scandals come and go. The people who cause scandal come and go. Yeah. Crimes committed against people happen, as horrible as that sounds. I mean, it happened. It's being dealt with, hopefully. Yeah. You know, we are got to trust and hope it's being dealt with. But a lot of the things that have come to light, too, have happened way far in the past. Yeah, yeah. It's just now coming to light. Yeah. You know, so all the, in America, we have a thing called the Dallas protocols. It's not perfect, and it definitely needs to be strengthened.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I know that, like, when I volunteered at my parish, I had to go through a background check. Okay. And then I had to go to a four-hour long class about how to, uh, you know, like what's appropriate behavior with children and stuff. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm standing up <laughs> with a chalice in front of the entire parish. Like, I, what am I, you know, why do I need to go through this class? Yeah. And they said, well, every single person that volunteers the parish in our diocese has to go through this. Yeah. And then you have to renew it every year. So there's all these, and then if there's any kind of an incident, you have to report it to the authorities first. And then you have to report it to the bishop's mm-hmm. office. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's all kinds of these standards that have been put in place that since they've been put in place, there hasn't really been,
0: yeah.
1: you know, much, much abuse. Mm-hmm. I mean, there'll always be abuse because it's a sin problem when yeah. it comes down to it. Yeah. You know, ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit yeah. in the garden, this is what we have to deal with now. Yeah. So, yeah, even, even when the, the, the seas get rocky, you just have to remember that we're on this ship mm-hmm. that is the church. And it's sailing towards, you know, like the, the vision that St. John Bosco had of the, you know, the ship that is continuing on with the Pope at the helm, you know? Yeah. So, you have to remember that the ship is continuing on, the seas might get rough, but the ship's not going to go down. Mm-hmm. So, don't abandon the ship. <laughs> That's what I, I've been trying to, because I've been talking to a lot of people lately with all this, because in the U.S. especially, it's really...
0: yeah. And it's you know, weird that they all you know, think that they should leave really the goal. church because of this.
1: Right. And I, you know, I like to tell them at the very end of John 6, after the Bread of Life discourse, Jesus looks and says that, you know, I picked, didn't I pick the 12 of you and yeah. one of you is a devil. Mm. And he's talking about Judas. Mm. And so if one out of 12 is, is what is that, like uh, 6% or 7%, then mm. You know, yeah. if seven percent of the original apostles, of or the original priests, because they were the first priests, mm. could betray the Son of God and hand him over to be executed, mm. then one or two percent of current priests mm. is actually an improvement. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, but yeah, you, you just don't leave. You don't leave Peter because of Judas. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, that's what it really comes down to. Is there's got to be sin? The church is made up of people. You know, it's a divinely chartered institution that's made up of human beings, mm. and we are all sinners. Yeah. Even the pope goes to confession. Yeah. yeah. So even saints went to confession. All the saints. They all that was one of the things that made them saints was you know frequent confession.
2: Yeah.
1: And we're all sinners, and sin happens, and we can't let that scandalize us to where we lose faith mm. in God or lose faith in the church yeah. because of sin. Okay. You know. If we're, if we're only Catholic because of the, the moral turpitude yeah. of our leaders, well, then we're in trouble. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because they're sinners just like us. Right. You know, they rely on the grace of God just like we do. Mm-hmm. You know, just because they're a bishop, it doesn't mean they're Superman.
2: Yeah.
1: But I think it's very important that we have to realize that the Church is holy not because of its members, but in spite of them. The Church is holy because of what Christ done on Calvary, mm-hmm. not because of anything we add to it.
0: Yeah. So, what are the biggest takeaways from Mother Teresa's life, apart from her spirituality? I mean, there are there's plenty of quotes about her talking about uh, people who are unloved and loneliness and Jesus and peace and. But what are the biggest things that you can learn from her life and her persistence as a Catholic?
1: I think the the, the biggest lesson to learn from her life is the we can't all do great things, mm-hmm. but we can all do little things with great love, mm-hmm. and just just like uh, Teresa of Lisieux. We just have to take it from there and do the small things. I mean, Teresa Blasu talked about just washing the dishes with a smile on your
2: face, mm. you
1: know. And but you can't stop there. You have to keep going with it. Not just a lot of people in in America. We have you know the panhandlers mm. and homeless people and people that are down on their luck and stuff. People hand them a dollar and just keep on walking and don't ever recognize that this is a human being standing here
2: in mm. front of you. Mm.
1: You know, mm. just take a moment to talk to them. Or if you're at, like, a soup kitchen, if you're volunteering at a soup kitchen, smile.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know? It, it is little things like that. Yeah. And people remember things like that. Yeah. People say, like, you know, that time when you, you know, when I was in the soup kitchen, you smiled at me. It was the first time someone smiled at me in six months. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's sad, too. Yeah. That there is people who become invisible yeah. to society. And I think really that's, you know, to reach out to the margins, to the edges of society. Mm-hmm. And to really, you know, bring them in. Because, like like I said in the second chapter of the letter of St. James, that we can't have partiality.
2: Mm.
1: Because it doesn't matter how much money you got in your bank account. Jesus died for every one of us. So I think that's a big lesson to learn from her life is start small. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And who knows? I mean, I don't know if she knew when she went into the streets of Calcutta that she was going to form this great missionary organization that Mm. was going to go out and feed the homeless and... uh, you know, care for the
2: dying in 30 or 40 countries around the world. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, yeah. she just thought she was going down to be in the streets with the people and with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that five finger gospel, like she said, You did it to me.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. She just thought that's what she was doing, but it ended up growing. So who knows, you know, if you start in your parish, if you see a need in your parish, if mm-hmm. there's a need for whatever, for like a single mother's ministry, a lot of parishes yeah. have like a single mother. So people that's pregnant that don't have any kind of like a support system mm. they have ministries where you can donate car seats or diaper bags or things that mm. they need yeah. for their children or uh, if you see a need in your parish for you know like to go uh, form a ministry to go visit
2: old people that don't have yeah. in, you know, in retirement homes that don't have anyone to visit them
1: because yeah. some you know, I heard a statistic that said that some people in retirement homes will go months without having a visitor
2: mm,
1: okay. you know and that's really sad, sad yeah so uh, imagine what the, that would be like, the, the loneliness that would entail. Mm. So if you see a need in your in your parish or in your community to start, if there's not a ministry already going that you can join, mm. start one. Yeah. Now, like, the St. Catherine Drexel had this, uh, she had this desire to start a mission to the Indians in America.
2: Mm.
1: And so she went to the Pope in Rome. She went all the way to Rome and she told him, you need to appoint a person and I'll fund it because she was a very wealthy woman from Philadelphia. Yeah. And, you need to appoint someone to run this thing, and she had this whole vision, and he looked at her and said, that person is you. <laughs> so sometimes if you've got an idea, mm. and you're not seeing it being done, well, maybe yeah. that's God telling you to do it yourself, yeah. to start yeah. it. Yeah. You know, and like she did, and she was on that train, and she had that call within her call, like she said. Mm. And look where it's went from now. Now she's a saint, and, mm. and they're, uh, they're caring for the sick and dying all around the
0: world. Mm -hmm. So start
1: small. Don't be afraid to start small. I think that's a big,
0: a big takeaway. I I just want to add that um, if anybody's going to write to us about the controversies of Mother Teresa, uh, I know the the news lately has said that um, the the missionaries of charity were involved in, um, you know, uh, trafficking children and babies. And I just want to say that the Archdiocese of Calcutta, the Archdiocese all over India has made a formal statement Saying that um, the people implicated had nothing to do with the missionaries of charity, and uh, uh-huh. there was just this whole um, speculation and this uh, blame game that was in in the end, I think put on the missionaries of charity, but they had nothing to do right. with it. So,
1: so yeah, people, yeah, I heard about that, that. One one of the nuns was selling, yeah, sold a baby. Yeah. But I mean, that's like saying that all Americans are cannibals because <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer was a cannibal. You, know? <laughs> so you really, you can't place the blame on a whole organization because one of its members didn't really live up to the standards of the organization. Yeah.
0: And and in the end, I think it wasn't even related to them. I mean, it, the nuns were not involved in it. So there was a formal right. statement released on that and announced all over the country so that, you know, people wouldn't start lynching Christians here. <laughs>
1: Right. Yeah, see, I've, I've read a lot of controversy. I didn't know Mother Teresa was a con, because in America, she's just, she's been a saint for 30 years. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, everyone considered her a saint. Just, you know, back when I was a kid, I lived in New York, and mm-hmm. uh, they had a house in the Bronx, the mm-hmm. Missionary Charity. And I remember she came to New York, and it was like people went out, like, lined the streets to see her. Mm-hmm. And so she was a living saint, even when she was alive. And then when I heard there was controversy about her, I kind of looked into it. This was years ago before okay. she became a saint.
2: Okay. And
1: there were some people that were saying that she didn't preach the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, like, by, yeah. like, explicitly preach the gospel, and she only cared for the sick and dying.
2: Yeah.
3: And there was
1: some that was saying that she would only preach the gospel, and she wouldn't miss So I said, if you're going to be criticized from both sides, and you're yeah. right in the middle, then you're probably doing something right.